The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch. Hello and welcome to another edition of Miracles in Recovery. I'm Ray. And I'm Ellen. And we are... Miracles in Recovery. I'll let you say it yourself. That <laughs> I was waiting on you. <laughs> so uh, here we are again, trying to share our experience, strength, and hope over the airwaves. And I just want to take a moment to thank all the listeners who have been there with us the whole ride. This is our 11th or 12th week or something like that. And our audience has progressively grown. And I get, I get a, a readout every week of where people are listening. There's a lot of people in the States, but you would be amazed that there are people in Indonesia, in Russia, Japan, China, Ireland, Joe, if you're out there. So there's people listening all around the world. So our message is getting out there, and that's the, that's the benefit of it. When we were on terrestrial radio, we never knew. The only time we knew is if somebody called in, if somebody text it on Facebook or, or, you know, put something on Facebook. I listened to your show. That's the only time that we knew anyone was out there listening. Ellen and I would be in here speaking to ourselves in the studio as far as we knew. Now I can monitor where it is where people are listening. And it's absolutely humbling to know that there are people not only listening in the United States, but in last week, I, I think it was 27 other countries oh my as well. Goodness, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing, but addiction is the great leveler. Oh, absolutely. And it, you know, it, it affects everybody all over the world, so I'm really glad that our message can get out there, you know, because we talk about we talk about um, addicts and we talk about their families, and, and maybe maybe our message can help somebody. If we can help one person, then we're doing our job. Right, and like we say, you know, it, it, it not only affects the addict, their families, it affects the communities, you know. It really and, does, and, and a lot of communities are being affected right now. Every single community that I can think of, there has to be somebody who is dysfunctionally active, addicted in it within it. Yes, and, and again, all over the world, wherever you go, you're going to find it because it's everywhere. Right, right, and, and sadly... Um, here at home, we're dealing with a greater issue today than we were even five years ago with this carfentanil and, and all of that extra gutcha stuff out there. There's hundreds of people dying a day. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to me how many people just in the community that we live in are dying every right. day. I think um, just south of us, there was something like 88 overdose deaths. It's a record. 
in the last month. Yeah, and and but in some cities, that's happened in a day. Yeah, you know, in some of the large the larger cities, I think. I think Cleveland had a serious issue there for a little while with like 120 in a weekend or something. That's there was nuts. a mom who lost all three of her sons. Oh, right. I, I have a, a friend of mine whose family, those three boys, and, and they're all they're all. Yeah, it's just yeah. amazing. There was one mom, I think, in Iowa who she had actually started a foundation called I Hate Heroin, and she lost both of her sons <laughs> on the same night. Different places. They weren't even together. Wow. But the same batch of, of bad... Dope Bad enough for, getting the yeah. call, never mind, two of them. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine? I just, I can't. No, I can't. you know, the sad thing is, is that um, I think in the environment or the world that we live in, I think it gets a little bit, the, it's still a moral issue. And it I is. think that's why there's a lot of unnecessary deaths out there. There's none of them that are necessary, but. There's a lot more unnecessary deaths because people look the other way instead of wanting to help. Well, and they, they actively shame people who are in active right. addiction rather than, you know, perhaps trying to be empathetic as, as we were talking about last week or trying to be kind or trying, you know, just don't say something awful. It is a disease. It is not just bad, immoral behavior. Mm-hmm. Nobody sets out to be an addict. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, this is, you know, this was what I aspired to be. Right. You know, and, and it, when you said that about empathy and, and trying to be nice, I remember a, I don't want to know if it's a slogan or what, but hurt people hurt, hurt people. people. Yes. You know, and that's the world that we live in. We are hurting the people that we love. We're hurting ourselves. And the only reaction that they know, because they're not educated enough to within the, the the confines of the parameters of addiction than to hurt the individual that's out there sick and suffering as it is. And I think today we have a better shot at it because it's it's in every climb in place. It's, it's everywhere we look. But I still have to say that educationally, it's still a moral issue. Oh, definitely. And the war on drugs is still raging on. And I think the war on drugs has, has been a huge detriment to trying to help people. We've you know? lost the war on drugs. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I think the war on drugs actually made things worse. Yeah. You know, locking an addict up in jail is probably the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand the concept of they're out there harming themselves. And at least if you put them in jail, they're safe. But they're only safe to a certain degree. And it, the longer you leave them there in that environment with other people who have the same disease, and this is all they talk about, all they think about, they're going to be worse when they come out True. a lot of the time. Or, even even worse, they're going to get out, immediately use, and overdose. And that is happening a lot as well. Right. You have somebody who goes to jail and they're there for, you know, two months, and they go right back out and they use the same amount of whatever their drug of choice was, and it's too much for a body that's not used to it, and they die, and that's happening a lot of the time. So I feel that rehabilitation rather than incarceration is the way to go. I don't have a problem with some kind of a lockdown rehab, but please don't make it jail where they're punished and shamed even more so that you come out with even more self-hatred than you went in with. Right, right. And, and it's happening at that rapid of a rate that I don't think facilities like that have the ability to be able to handle it. 
No, they don't. They no. And most jails are probably 95% addicts who are in there for various crimes from... Bad check writers. Well, right. or uh-huh. credit cards or well, a little saying. bit of shoplifting at Walmart or even worse, possession of, you know, one or two pills. Stealing a cup. Stealing a cup, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it is astounding how small the crimes are and how long the time is. True. and And the damage is sometimes irreparable. Right. I mean... I know people who have been in jail or, or went to jail when I got clean and they're still rebounding because yeah. there's nothing set in place for them to be able to grasp onto PTSD. We talked about yeah. that. You know what? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that in a, in a confined building like that? And, and, and it's all around you, you know? Oh, and just the conditions that you have to live in, you know, it's, the sanitation is not great. And even where we live, where, you know, it's relatively mm-hmm. middle class. And, you know, most of the people that are in the jails, again, are middle class kids right. now who have gotten in trouble. But it's become a business. Who've made They're, a bad decision. You know, and, and that's that's it. We're all just one bad decision away from being either in that environment for the first time or back in that environment. And that's why I And think the more you go, the more they're going to send you back. Right. So mm-hmm. it becomes kind of a, a downward spiral of, you know, you're, you get arrested, you do some time, you get out. You get arrested, you do more time, you get out. And you, you get these points, at least, you know, where we live, there's a point system. Mm-hmm. And the more points you have, the longer the time for even very small crimes. Right. That's, that's nationwide. Um, you know, but even even not in the jail environment, in the in the housed recovery environment, yes, yes. I I don't want to bash anyone's program. I'm not speaking of any any individual one, but the majority of the programs that I have been familiar with, the people who are educating the addicts that are coming in the door are the ones that were there 60, 90, 120 days earlier. What do they know? What message are they bringing? They've never broke the, broken the cycle of the facility and then they become a tech and then they become the med tech and then they become the manager. And then I had a perfect case in point. I was in a program up in Massachusetts. It was a halfway house. And the gentleman that was a director of the program, they ran a meeting in the morning, um, once a week down in the basement. Everybody had to be there. It was the director's meeting. So we were all talking, and like a wise guy, I said to the director, we don't ever see you at meetings. And I don't know if I caught him off guard or what, but he said, I get what I need here. And I said, so technically, with the 17 years that you have clean or sober, you have six months experience because that was the cycle. Right. And that's what happens in a lot of these places. You, you end up getting the six months experience, the three months experience. What can you share on and after if you don't levitate to something that is going to assist you with your recovery outside? If you get three months experience in a facility and you go back and stand on the same corner that I did, is 15, 20 minutes and you were high again. And right. I never knew why. Why? Because I never knew how to break that cycle. Coming out of jail, coming out of an institution, um, coming out of a coma, 
yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a big problem with that, too. They treat yeah. them and street them because there are a lot of overdoses, you know, and they bring them back with Narcan or something, and then they're right back out on the street because there's, there is nowhere in the medical community that treats them. No, but th- thank God that that uh, Narcan is out there to save, you know, one out of every you know, 120 may ultimately have that as their bottom experience and, and get clean. Granted, they're gonna, you're going you're gonna to have people who do it three, four, five, six, seven. You read about them in the paper, the people complain. Oh, I know moms whose kids in the last month have overdosed five or six times. And they've brought, and they brought them back, brought with, them back with Narcan. Yeah. It, it is totally astounding how many people are out there overdosing right now. But it, what's, the alternative? Frightening. what's the alternative? Do we just let them die? No, I don't no. think we can. No, we can't. There are we two... Can't. If you look at how many there are, it's 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 a very frightening statistic. I don't know what the answer is. I've been searching for it. You know, there are yeah. there are a lot of reasons for relapse. There are a lot of reasons for being addicted. Mm-hmm. Not not the least of which is you know once you do get that contact with the legal system, you've got a record, so you're not going to be able to get a job. Right. Or you're not going to be able to get a good job with a major corporation because the first thing they do is a background check. Right. And, you know, there, there are some companies who I worked for a, uh, a toxicology lab for quite a few years. And um, it was full of recovering addicts. And they knew that the individuals who had a record weren't bad people. They were just in bad situations along the way. And he, um, that was his focus. He, he started out with servicing a sober living facility. He found out that people were, were good people in there. They yeah. just they have a disease. Life. Yeah. And ultimately, the people that he hired out of all of those facilities made the company, you know, incredible. We have a caller on the line. His name is George, and he was a guest a few weeks ago. Hi, George. How are you? Hi, Ray. How are you? Fantastic. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, what was that, a garbage disposal or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so how is everyone? I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Yes, I know you, it seems like the subject tonight is uh, relapse. Is that oh, part of well, the... Well, the subject tonight is George. Just whatever you want to speak about. We were talking about this, that, and the other thing, but um, I know that you did a show a couple of weeks ago about complete recovery, and we really didn't get to touch on everything that you wanted to bring to the table. So introduce yourself with what you want, and we'll just feed off of you to go where it goes. All right. Uh, my name is George Ariza, and uh, I was addicted to crystal meth for probably about 10 years. And, you know, I'd gone to several rehabs. Uh, I'd done the 12 steps. Uh, it didn't really work for me. Uh, and no one made the connection between my depression and the addiction. When I was finally able to uh, successfully treat the depression, um, my addiction went away. I never thought about using ever since. Uh, the depression went away. Uh, so one of the things I try to do is help people to understand that connection. 
and also understand that you know, it's really important to have a synergistic approach to wellness. Uh, by that I mean, you know, medication and also therapy to help people to heal family of origin issues so that they don't carry the dysfunction uh, that was exacerbated by their addiction into the relationships that they have uh, once they're sober because that tends to be what happens. And, I think uh, I think we were just oh. kind of we were just kind of touching on that with the cyclical approach to in and out of facilities and you know the people that uh-huh. are sharing their experience, strength, and hope are, are trying to assist you through that twenty eight day program only have forty seven right. days themselves. So <laughs> you know it's kind of tough. I'm, I'm you know exaggerating with the forty seven days, but there's a lot of people that don't have more than six months experience and. What can that give an individual other than the passive response of, it'll be okay, just stay here another day? What happens when you walk out the door and all of your isms are still in your back pocket, all of your bad behaviors are there, and you walk right back onto the same corner you were on saying, hey, I'm cured. Well, (laughs) no, you're not, Mr. Well, no, and that's true. I mean, what is really important for someone who's at a rehab is not to just abstain from, you know, their drug of choice, but it's to also heal the underlying causes of what drives the using. So mm-hmm. for me, it was and a I, I think and that's, what miss, that's what's missing in a lot of these programs. That is. There's, right. there's, there's a huge focus on abstinence, but that's never going to happen. No. You know, with somebody who's uh-huh. got an underlying problems and a lot of people, yeah. you know, there are a lot of people that are suffering from PTSD from depression, from bipolar disorder, from ADHD. I mean, you can go down the list of everything. And, uh-huh. you know, I'm thinking about my addicts personally and all the stuff they've been diagnosed with. And I don't even know what's real and what isn't anymore. And I don't think they do either. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When, right. um, speaking, speaking, you said my addicts. Um, when I, when I got clean February 28th, 1989. And through my journey, my family, uh-huh. my family started to progress through the journey with me, and I remember uh-huh. in one of my, I remember in one of my uh, celebratory meetings when I got, you know, I, I don't know if it was seven, eight, nine, ten years clean. Um, I remember sharing my experience, strength, and hope, and then people, you know, get up, and my mother and my stepfather gave me my medallion and my cake. You know, they, they go through that ritualistic. Uh, medallion and cake thing and my mother gave me uh-huh. my medallion and she said this heartfelt uh, thing she's an alcoholic as well she's a recovering alcoholic as well and my stepdad got up with the cake and he said my name is Bob and I'm addicted to addicts <laughs> <laughs> I've been accused because his whole family was a mess around <laughs> I've been accused right. of that too I thought that was sweet but, you know, there's a lot of truth in that because, you know, I tell people the fact that, you know, when I look at, like, my family history and there is a history of, you know, depression and other things uh, that added to the family dysfunction, uh, you know, and we tend to look for people that are like our family of origin. That means whatever dysfunction right. they have, they have issues of communication, if they have issues, you know, with uh, being able to... Um, uh, be faithful, be present, be supportive. If, if they're lacking those things, we tend to gravitate toward what we know. 
This is true. And people, George, hold, George, mm-hmm. hold that thought. Hold that thought. Okay. We're coming up close to a break. We'll share okay. a little more of this uh, topic when we come back. We're with Georgia Razor. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present and learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well-being and learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel. When you stop to think about it, we are all a part of one interconnected ecosystem. What happens in one part of the world can affect us all. So we need to take an active stand for the issues that are important to us. Listen for Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. You'll learn about personal health and environmental issues that need to be important to us all and hear from the experts about a different topic each week. Listen every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. And we're back. Everything you've ever dreamed of is on the other side of the fear you feel. Call in. We can help. Phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792. Let your voice be heard. Make a difference. And if you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, please send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. We'll send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour so that we can focus on what you have to bring to the recovery community. So let us hear from you. We have George Ariza on the phone. He called in a few minutes before the last break. And uh, we were sharing about complete recovery. And during the commercial break, we were speaking about mental illness and it not being addressed while in the basic recovery environment share a little bit about that george about like 
how can someone go about, you know, because I, I remember saying to myself, first I said, I'm not an addict while I ran around like a nut. Then I accepted right. that I was an addict, but I didn't accept that I had any type of a mental illness. And it took me a right. long time. And as soon as I accepted that there was something else going on other than the addiction, could I get uh -huh. out of my own way? And Could I get out of my own way and find a better way to live? And, you know, you make a really good point because I, too, was in denial about, um, you know, my mental health issue. And then finally, I was like, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? Because uh, I realized that I'm anxious uh, when I wasn't, you know, on any medication. And I think I told you that when I spoke to my psychiatrist, I never made the connection between the, uh, the mental health issue and the addiction. It would always ask me, are you still using instead of uh, how's the medication working? So I went to a pharmacist, my pharmacist, and I said, you know, this medication I'm on is not a therapeutic dose. What can, you know, what is a level that will work? So he upped it to like 100 milligrams for the Wellbutrin. So when I took it as prescribed um, every day and my depression went away, I never thought of using ever again. I mean, I used to smoke crystal meth and, you know, right. And that, I, I think at that point, I think at that point, like you said about, about the medication, if you're taking it the way that it's prescribed, uh -huh. it's working the way that it's supposed to, you can yes. focus on all of the other stuff that's going on around you and not uh -huh. obsessing in a, for lack of a better word, mental, mentally deficient state about your right. addiction. Uh -huh. But one thing that I've noticed... Um, and I actually read a statistic on this the other day. 80% of the antidepressants that are prescribed are not prescribed by psychiatrists or mental health professionals. What do you mean? They're prescribed by your, your general practitioner. Oh, like your family doctor? Yes. And so you do not get any therapy to go along with it. They give you some pills right. and, you know, you take them for however long and hopefully you feel better. But there's there's no follow-up. There's no corresponding therapy to assist with whatever is troubling you. And there are, particularly with women in my age group, which is middle age, there are almost everybody's on something. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but she makes a really good point because, you know, I, when I wrote the book, you know, how to navigate successfully through the mental health care system, I wanted to let people know that, you know, you have to be able to have a timeline. If, you're, um, if your psychiatrist is prescribing and he's the one that should or she, uh, you also want to be able to, you know, come out and say, okay, well, you know, this is, is this therapeutic? Uh, and then, uh, you know, how long should I uh, wait until I start seeing, you know, some uh, changes in my mood, some improved changes? Uh, because what's the, what's the common... I know everybody. I know everybody's different, but what's the common um, time for something to start working positively in someone's? I would say that within at least four weeks, you four weeks, see okay. some difference. Four weeks. That's right. Because maybe people don't give it enough time. Hmm? Maybe people don't give it enough time because that because at that point we're all anxious and we want the. We want the cure. We want to be on the other side of it, or we want to run right. out the door real quick. And a lot of people don't sit long enough or right. have the intelligence at that point that you did 
I don't say it's intelligence, but the awareness to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't think this is working for me. How can I deviate from what it is that you're suggesting and, and make it work? Well, and I think, too, I know um, mm-hmm. from my experience with my daughter in rehab, they would put her on huge amounts of several different medications. You know, right. she's there 28 days, and then she's discharged. They, the medications make her feel bad. They make her gain weight. She doesn't want to take them, so she stops. Right. You know, right. Seroquel so. and, and, you know, Celexa mm-hmm. and something for anxiety, Klonopin or something, you know, on and on and on. I just, I don't know. It bothered me, number one, that, that there was no follow-up at all as to right. how these were supposed to work. So right. if, if you have some wisdom along those lines as to how these drugs, which are helpful if used appropriately, can be used to help, I would love to hear it. Well, right. You know, uh, like I said, for me in my case, the Wellbutrin works great um, because you don't want to have people that are either, that don't have enough medication so nothing is, is uh, improving their mood, but you also don't want them to be so doped up that they're like zombies and then they cannot... Um, as you said, uh, benefit from therapy to help them work through those issues that they have regarding self-esteem, uh, issues of, you know, family dysfunction that really need to be addressed. So it's really important that, you know, first of all, the person is on an appropriate dose of medication. And if they don't feel good, I would say, okay, you know what? Then we need to go back. We need to talk to um, the pharmacist. We need to get information so that we can make um, an informed decision so that the person can, you know, be at a, a point where um, the, the stress and the anxiety is minimized so they can start, you know, working on rebuilding who they are as a person. So I've heard you say twice, go back to the pharmacist. So if a, if a psychiatrist or psychologist is prescribing something to somebody, to one of our loved ones, and uh-huh. we don't see progressive behavior, uh-huh. um, it's, it's always good to check with the pharmacist as well because they, because I've heard you say oh, that yeah. twice. Yeah. Yeah, because they also, you know, they have that background. They understand what the, mm-hmm. uh, what the effects of the medications are. They understand what the side effects are. And they also are educated as far as what is considered a therapeutic dose, um, meaning that it's a dose that's going to, if taken every day as prescribed, it's going to have a um, desired effect. Right. So right. And I guess really I guess important. you're right because it, I, I guess you're right because a a doctor who is treating you is looking at a clinical behavior versus a medical result from the. Um, well, they should the be. drug. They should yeah. be. But my experience has been most psychiatrists do nothing but prescribe the drug, and then they will send you to a different type of counselor for the actual counseling right. to go with it. Well, not to, not to change. And, the, I don't, you know, I don't want to bash them, but, yeah. but no, no, when but these drugs came but, out, yeah. you know, their mm-hmm. whole focus seemed to change into the pharmacology of it. So you spend $200 for 20 minutes with a guy who gives yeah. you some prescriptions, and then that's all you get. But not to change that, right. you know, the, the drug pattern here, but when I, when I, I have, um, I was diagnosed with like ADD when I was a kid and they put me on Ritalin and Ritalin progressively got to, got me to a point where I said no more and I was tonguing it and throwing it away and doing all of that stuff. 
but when I got when I got clean, a lot of things that were still not falling into that folder properly. So after uh-huh. a few years being clean, I went to a I'm not sure if it was a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or what. He immediately uh-huh. wrote a script for me. Didn't even know who I was, mm-hmm. and it right. was for Adderall. It was yep. for Adderall. Yep. Like, okay, so you're giving me a recovering addict a script for Adderall that when I take it, it wigged me right out. I mean, ultimately, it got me to, like, because somebody with ADD taking speed, it slows them yeah. down. It's, it, it has a counter effect. But not mm-hmm. the first couple of days. Not the first couple of days. I was out of my mind. And I, and right. I couldn't get myself past that breaking point of comfortability where I started feeling normal on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the message really is you've got to have somebody who's the whole package. Yeah. You know, who can prescribe it, who can monitor its effect on you, and who can provide the additional, you know, obvious talk therapy that you're going to need to work and there's through plenty these of, there's issues. And there's plenty of professionals out there that, that have the uh, awarenesses. You know, like, I mean, there's a lot of addiction addictionologists out there that know exactly what they're getting into because they've studied addiction, whereas just the, your average doctor, family, family general doing practice. Most of the prescribing. Yeah. Don't, you know, yeah. you go in, you tell them you're unhappy about something. I mean, I had this experience myself. And, uh-huh. you know, they, he gave me Celexa and it wasn't working. So they gave me the maximum dose and I was on it for like three or four years. And, yeah, I did feel better initially, but then I started feeling worse. So I tapered off of it, and I personally uh-huh. will never go on those again <laughs> because sure, the sure. rebound depression was horrific. But you know, and that scared me. I don't want to. I don't want to have to be dependent on, on something like that. Right. Right. And like you said, it's really important that you go to a psychiatrist, and that you know, in a perfect world, you're right. A psychiatrist would say, "Hey, look, you know, I want to explain to you what the medications, you know, what the range is as far as therapeutic goes." Unfortunately, if, there, if people are going to say county appointed as opposed to, let's say, a private psychiatrist, right. uh, they've only got like maybe three minutes, and that's it. So they got to get in, they got to get out, and that's it. And that's really discouraging because these people need more than a script. Everybody needs more than a prescription. Like you said, they need someone who can explain to them uh, the process of taking the medication, uh, you know, when to look for results. And if they don't see anything within a certain time, you know, that needs to be revisited. Uh, because if those things don't happen, that's when people fall through the cracks. That's when they go back and they relapse because they're feeling really bad and they don't have any tools. And certainly when you don't feel emotionally balanced, it's, uh, it's a greater uh, probability that you're going to relapse. Right, exactly. And, and I think that's where a lot of my relapses came from because I went in and back then detox, quote unquote detox, uh, was uh-huh. 28 days. It was 28 days. Today it's four, but then you can go to a rehab facility for 28. So it's pretty much the same right. cycle. It's just called different for insurance reasons. But I remember going to a detox and people not even asking me what I was going to do. Like Anybody in the facility asking me what my plans were. Ultimately, the last time I went, um, I spoke up and said, hey, I think I need to do this a little different so I don't have to come uh-huh. back here. <laughs> you know? right. And, and well, that's no, when... It's the, true. Yeah. 
Well, it, it's it's very expensive. I think that's a huge deterrent for a lot of people. You know, you can't sure. afford the psychiatrist. You can't even afford insurance anymore. Insurance doesn't right. pay for a lot of it. Insurance doesn't right. pay for the drugs. They're not cheap either. So all of these things are deterrents to what people really need. Absolutely. Right. And and I, I, I don't know. I don't know where... You know, I don't know how to fix that. I know um, no. the Obama administration had been looking at it, but nothing's really being done. And and to me, right. that's where we really need a lot of action. Sure. If the right sure. professionals, you know, don't don't make it prohibitively expensive so that people can get the treatment they need. And that is not mm-hmm. happening. No. It's not it's happening. It's getting to- worse. Sure. No, it's important for people to understand that, you know, there are some drug companies that will give you the medication, they will, or you'll have a small copay. But again, that's a lot of stuff that never trickles down to the people who really need it. Right. No, I mean, when you're talking to the addict that's just getting out of jail who has nowhere to go because their families abandoned them because they had to. um, Yeah. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? How are they going to get the help they need? They're just not. And it's Mm -hmm. sad. Right, because they're is, destined to repeat that cycle over and over and over again until right. one, that one till they accidentally get out of their own way, or until they accidentally die. Well, it's like you say, jails, institutions, and death. That's, yeah. that is the cycle, and the only way to break it, it sounds to me like, is to get professional people in the way. You know, yeah. when you come out, here, here is where you're going to go, and here is what you're going to do, and here is, you know, here are these doctors, these psychologists, mm-hmm. these professionals who are trained. Uh-huh. In dealing with what you have, and that's what we're missing. Yeah. I mean, you and yourself had to go missing. to a pharmacist to get the help you needed. Yes, if I hadn't said in my own in my own mind, if I hadn't said, you know what, something is really not working here, I need to take control of this situation, I'd still be using because you know, like I said, or my dead. psychiatrist never asked me anything. What's that? I said, or dead. Yeah, or dead. That's right. That's right. And yeah. so I finally had to go, and then uh, he had me on something. The well, the revision is good. The Zoloft is kind of weird, and so then we tapered off of that, and I stayed on on the Wellbutrin. But you know, a lot of people aren't going to understand that. That okay, you know, see what works. If something doesn't feel so good, you know, be in communication. It, it was my psychiatrist wasn't saying you should do this, this, and this. I was the one that said, look. Went to the pharmacist. He recommended this. I'm doing this. I'm getting better. And da da da. And all my pharmacist was said was like, "Oh, oh, how good for you!" Like you could care less. Yeah, right. Yeah. We're coming up on a uh, on another break. And, okay. Uh, hold your thought, and we'll pick it back up on the other side. We are speaking with George Arisa, and you can call in at eight six six four seven two five seven nine two if you have any questions or if you just want to share your Experience, strength, and hope. We'll be back in a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's busy, stressed, and food-obsessed show. 
This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you have been experiencing addiction issues, be it drugs, alcohol, or something else, you know what it means to feel alone in the world. The Power to Create Yourself with host Ross Ramin is here to prove that you don't have to feel this way. There are others who have been there or are still there, and together we can sort out the truths and the lies in order to reveal the true essence of your character. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Miracles in Recovery. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. Now, back to this week's show. You know, I think this has been a... uh a very enlightening show so far with a lot of different topics that we're speaking about. And I just want to share something. Two famous quotes from an addict. It'll never happen to me, and I'm not hurting anyone but myself. Bottom line is, if you knock on the devil's door too many times sooner or later, someone's going to answer. Phone lines are open. Dial 866-472-5792. We have George Ariza on the phone, and I already put the disclaimer out there that I had ADD, so I'm going to let you tell the title of your book. There's way too many words in it for me to, for me to get it right. So, okay. So the title of my book is How to Navigate Successfully Through the Mental Health Care System, and yeah, I never the reason why I wrote it is because of my own situation working with a psychiatrist who wasn't very helpful. Um, you know, I talk about in the book, the importance of, you know, if you get a script from your psychiatrist, make sure you go and consult with your pharmacist to make sure that the dose you're getting or that it's described to you is therapeutic. Wait at least four weeks, you should see some sort of improvement in the way you feel. And if you don't, it would be a good idea then to revisit the, um, the dosing amount with, uh, the pharmacist. How can somebody and, get the book, George? Oh, uh, they go to Amazon.com and uh-huh. they can just uh, type in my name and see all my books. Uh, it's George Ariza. The last name is A R A I Z A, 
and because people really need uh, information so that they can, you know, overcome addiction. And right. for me, as I mentioned before, when the depression went away, so did the um, addiction or the desire to use. Here's another thing that I have shared, not on the show, but I had developed a seizure disorder because of the child abuse that I had experienced, and I thought I'd always have the seizures. Well, when the depression went away, the seizure disorder went away as well. Wow. wow. That's, 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 uh, that's incredible. You know, I, I, I'm proud of myself. I just bought myself a little uh, Kindle Paperwhite, and mm-hmm. when, you, when you buy it, or when I bought it, they gave me two books to be able to nice. buy for free. So I bought like a, a Tony Robbins book, of course, why I uh-huh. don't know, but I needed a little bit of motivation. And then I bought a book called Why Me? And it's, right. um, I have, I've only gotten like a couple of pages into it. And it's about a woman's tale of abuse when she was a child. And this was like serious physical abuse. It wasn't, it wasn't like the, you know, like, like, um, I hate you type stuff. This was like really, and, you know, fortunately enough, I never had to experience that piece of abuse, the physical abuse. I mean, I know that mentally you can be just as abused or if not more, sometimes, sometimes you can take a punch, but you can't take a, you can't take a joke. Um, But, you know, I feel so I was I was almost in tears reading it, and I'm only into it, you know, six or seven pages. Well, you know, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, you know, my abuser is also bipolar. She's never gotten um, help for it. She went on to abuse her own daughter. The no. thing is that I remember one time when I was probably about six, I had gotten something out of the garbage can. It wasn't dirty. It was like a, what do you call it, like a turkey that was made out of paper Mm -hmm. and I remember that she came and she just beat me really bad and then I remember later I said why did you do that and she goes I just wanted you to be perfect (laughs) yeah that's that's (laughs) but you know I realized that she didn't like herself because she didn't realize unfortunately that her her father my uncle uh, that he suffered from PTSD he'd been abused by his father who was an alcoholic so he didn't talk to her because he didn't love her or anybody. It's just that he didn't have the capability. And I and think that's how it gets passed down. Yeah. You know, it's generational. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. You know, one generation suffers abuse and then puts it on to the next generation and it just keeps going. I mean, I think there's an awareness now that maybe sure. wasn't there before, but it's not right. stopping it. So now does your work center around, uh, you know, abuse assistance and everything like that. Now, I'm going to try something here. Sure. How to navigate well, my- successfully through the, hey, look, a shiny penny. Mental health care that- system. Uh-huh. Yeah. Does that, does that book, does your book, like, touch on things like that so people can get that awareness that it may be all of the other things that are going on? That's driving sure. the addiction that people aren't looking at? Yes. Yes. In fact, you know, it's really important that people understand that, you know, they don't have to live with that, um, the negativity of the past anymore. 
and right. the book and what I do when I work with clients is to help them to, first of all, balance their moods, get on proper medication, uh, and then work through the trauma by learning how to forgive. I always mm-hmm. tell people, because some people will say, well, I can never forgive that person. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah. everybody's at a different place, and I understand that. I said, but when you can really get deeper into why they became the person that they became and why they don't love themselves, I said, then you can at some point come to a point of forgiveness and then also develop healthy personal boundaries if that person's behavior does not change. I said, the only person we can change is ourselves. And the only thing right. that we can beneficially change is our attitude about things and other people. You know, we were speaking with uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley last week, and he was speaking about empathy. And I think in a lot of the facilities and a lot of the addicted in, in the addiction world, we don't walk around with, with empathy because it's do what I say and you'll get what I get. You know, like if right. you want what I have, do what I do. Well, I, I, I don't. I, I mean, I want your day clean, but I may not right. want the crazy life that you're leading me into because that's what you're doing. So if I do that, I, I'm not addressing what's going on in me. And exactly. I think, you know, he he hit on a real good, you know, thing that that you don't think about all the time is empathy. But kindness mm-hmm. is very often misinterpreted as weakness <laughs> coming right coming hey how and, you doing coming from boston um <laughs> when somebody is nice to me my mm-hmm. first reaction used to be what do they want right yeah. or yeah. this is an idiot you know i can take advantage of them right right and you know somebody asked me one time they said well don't you dislike your cousin don't you want bad for her and i said no i said you know, I understand why she's the person that she is. I said, here's what I wish for her, like I'd wish for anybody, you know, myself included. I said, is that her life would improve, that she would get the medication and the treatment that she needs so that before she passes, you know, off this earthly scene, that she'll finally be able to have some peace in her life. And she's not young anymore. So, right. you know, I mean, that's my goal. That's my hope for anybody. Right, that, that each individual can, I don't want to say fix, because that's not a, they can write themselves mm-hmm. and, and, and live a happy, joyous existence for as long as they have. And it's tough in the world today. I mean, we just went through or are still going through um, a crazy election. And I sure. don't foresee, I don't foresee, because the powers that be aren't, aren't, quelling the crowd they're not they're not reassuring the crowd that it's going to be okay if everybody right. got together and said it's going to be okay then sooner or later we would start believing it and you know belief is half is half the half the step to get to um writing yourself within the world that you live in well, I think right. also it's um, attitude it's, mm-hmm. it's your attitude about everything and it's very hard when you're beaten down, beaten down, beaten down, and, you know, even physically beaten down. You know, how do sure. you how do you rise above that? It, it can look impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and very that, often does. Sure. Sure. 
that's I think like you both said something really important too about the fact that you know therapy is not just telling people you know get over things it's telling it's helping them to have empathy for others have empathy for themselves you know learn how to um, learn better communication skills learn that in relationships it's not about what's right it's a, or not rather it's not about who's right it's about what's right and that right, cooperation exactly. is the goal and i think a lot of times when we when we were brought up the world we were brought it up in it was because i said so oh yeah you know because i'm right yeah. because i said so yes and today you today mm-hmm. you just can't use that mentality because the younger generations challenge that because I said so. They sure. need they need a solid answer as to why. And because I said so, doesn't cut it. It worked with us because I said so. Because <laughs> you know? well, we knew we were going to get smacked if <laughs> yeah. we said right. anything else. That right. doesn't work anymore. Right. No, no they, and I think they, know, they challenge, and I think it's good that sure. you know that they're willing to challenge, but. You know, uh-huh. but at the same time, I think they're missing some structure that we maybe had a little more of if it was done properly. And most of the time, maybe it wasn't. You know, I was lucky. You know, I had yeah, a, a and I, loving family. And, and see, that's important, being loving. When you're able to give somebody, um, when you're able to give somebody the support that they need, instead of saying, you know, do it because I say, you know, approach it in the way of like, well, you know, I really love you, and the reason why I'm bringing this information to you is so that you can make better decisions, you know, and have a good life. And by showing them how all these things work together, um, you know, it's reasoning with them. It's something that they can, uh, that will stick with them for hopefully the rest of their lives and in the way they deal with their families when they have them. Right. I would think that would be kind of a process, though. It's not something you can just learn in one or two sessions. No. No, uh-uh. no it's, it's no. not. And you know something? Sadly, it's not something that we're going to be able to figure out in this show. So I guess you're just going to have to call back in again because we're coming up on uh, the end of the show. And we've had two successful shows with you, and it's a very awesome yeah. conversation. So I would, uh, real quick, George, um, give out your information again. Your, your website, your... Twitter and, and all of that stuff so people can get in touch with you. Also stick it on okay. Miracles and Recovery on Facebook so that people can get it from there. Definitely. Um, my uh, website is Effective Business and Life Solutions and my handle on Twitter is George B. Ariza. Uh, all my books are on Amazon and uh, the most recent book is How to Navigate Successfully to the Mental Health Care System. And okay, I awesome. do life coaching. Sorry, like I said, we're coming up on it quick. So thanks for calling in, George. I appreciate the call. Um, By all means, give us a yell next week or the week after. And um, stay blessed out there. Thanks, George. Yeah, thank you both. I really appreciate it. Okay, we have a couple of things that we want to say before we end the show. Ellen, go ahead. Yeah, if you or your organization would like to be a featured guest on the show, please send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org. We'll send you an information packet on how to schedule a time for you to be on the show for the full hour so that we can focus on what you have to bring to the recovery community. And all I want to say is good night and stay blessed. God bless everybody. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery. Be sure to listen again for another edition with your host, Ray Lynch, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great week. Hope is in your corner.